0: I want to talk a little bit about ego death, because as I reflect on my life, it's very apparent to me that some things that have happened to me in my past, which have totally destroyed my ego, have been pretty tremendous opportunities. And I understand that not all of my listeners are religious, and I think that that's totally fine. Um, you know, you people believe what you want to believe. I'm not going to beat you over the head if you don't believe what I believe. You know, you're going to have to sort that out for yourself. But I definitely believe in God and I believe in the Bible. And it's only because time and time again, uh, things that I discover to be true are things that I've written or read from the Bible, like axioms that I discover. In life um, you can find written in the Bible and I, I find that to be remarkably profound and, and interwoven and intricate uh, with the way the universe is laid out and so it's it's actually biblical right that that a wise man um, goes to a house of mourning uh, that it's better for a man to you know find sorrow than to find joy uh, and and, and I actually have experienced that in my life uh, through these events of ego death that have taken what was or what would have been a pretty sad, sorry person. Um, like, I, I look back at the person that I was when I was like 13, 14, and imagine if I just extrapolated that person out without a whole lot of real... You know, personal growth and development, and and I don't think that I would like the person that I would have become very much. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I'm still a little rough around the edges. I am not a, by any means a perfect human. But when I look at my life as a culmination of events, um, I'm fairly happy with a lot of the personal growth that I've achieved and some of the things that I went through. Um, at the very least, I have a head on my shoulders at this point. I I'm, i might not always be happy with myself and like some of the things that I do, um, but I have a good enough head on my shoulders that I'm at least aware of it or I can be doing things, taking steps to fix it, to try to become more self-actualized or more knowledgeable, um, more aware of shortcomings and those types of things. So I want to talk about ego death because it's really two major events there's probably more smaller versions of this but I can think of two major events in my lifetime that were uh, what I would call a, a total ego death and really reinvented me as a human being uh, and the the first one is gonna sound kind of silly it, it certainly does through my adult eyes and ears looking back on it but you know, you have to put these things into the perspective of a kid and a kid's perception and a kid's world. Kids' worlds are much smaller than adults' worlds, right? I mean, kids are sort of a product of the environment that they're in, and it's very hard for them to um, imagine anything other than the, the world, the microcosm that they're in. Uh, that is their whole world because they know nothing else. So when I was a kid, I had, uh, in, in, in the nineties, you know, like when I was a kid, I had what was probably a fairly atypical childhood for a nineties kid. And maybe that's presumptive of me, but this is just based on, um, what I remember from my peers, like in school, I remember generally being a lot more mature than my peers, um, a lot more self-confident, yeah, like, confident than my peers, a lot more intellectually curious than a lot of my peers, uh, and, and it was a product of, like, what I spent my free time doing, I think, and and probably also my father and the way my father raised me, but my father was not around a lot, so I had to kind of pursue a lot of my development on my own, and I found that, uh, through spending a lot of time in the woods, um, hunting, fishing, building forts, learning how to solve problems, um, drawing maps, and um, just like constantly trying to like invent and create and and do new things and learn new skills and and learn how to survive and become in tune with nature. And uh, I loved that part of my childhood. I still dream about it all the time. Like, it was a big part of my development as a, as a young kid. And it was a great way to grow up. And I hope that I can provide that for my kids. It's like the ability to just immerse yourself in nature and, um, experience the world and and just learn, you know, how to solve problems and how to communicate and how to be inventive and creative. Um, those are just really awesome discoveries to make as a young man. Well, I had it, small, a very small, very tight-knit group of boys that I grew up with in my neighborhood who I sort of went through this journey with as a young man, Uh, and like most, you know, young friendships, it started to get a bit rocky about the time that we were towards the end of middle school, beginning of high school, Um, and it was... So I was probably 14 or 15 around the time that this extremely, like, very tight-knit friend group that I had and had ex- had grown up with uh, started to fizzle out, and it fizzled out fairly violently, I would say. my My one best friend and I got into a bit of an altercation when I was, like, a freshman in high school, and it shook up my whole world because... After that day, you know, I was kind of kicked out of the friend group. You know, I was no longer in the clique. Um, And it, it, it totally destroyed me because my entire identity was wrapped around being friends with these guys and spending our time in the woods building forts and hunting squirrels or whatever it was that we did on any particular day. And suddenly... You know, here I was, a 15-year-old kid, and I had no friends. Um, And I had never had to face that before in my life. I had no friends. I had no sense of self-worth. I ate lunch alone. um, And I was extremely uncomfortable in my own skin. Because I had no sense of self. And this, like I said, was a total death of ego. It was a total death of self. Uh, because my entire identity was wrapped around like who I was friends with and what I did and how we talked and how we acted. And I, I wasn't really an individual. Um, I was just sort of a member of a group and I joined the wrestling team shortly after this little fallout happened sort of on a whim. I had a friend, uh, l- like an acquaintance, you know, I would say he was a friend, um, because I was sort of flailing socially at this point in my life. And he suggested, hey, man, you need to join the wrestling team. He didn't even go to my school. He went to a different school. I had met him through church. And he was just like, hey, yeah, you need to join the wrestling team. He didn't, like, suggest it to me. He said it in such a way as, like, you need to do this. This is what you will do. And I almost didn't do it. I think I remember I was going to go to the wrestling trials one day and I had forgotten to bring my bag full of, like, workout clothes to wear to go to tryouts. I had left it, like, at home. So I I had decided to myself, well, that's that. Like, I'm not going to go to wrestling tryouts, and I'm not going to join the wrestling team. The team was actually walk-on. You just had to go to tryouts and make it through the first two weeks. The practices were, were very hard. So most people, I would say, you know, like, 60%, 70% of the kids that showed up for tryouts didn't stay. Like, they they voluntarily disenrolled because the practices were so hard. So I had said, okay, you know what, I'm just not going to wrestle. It's fine. And then my mom actually dropped off my bag full of workout clothes at the school, and they called me up to the office, and they were like, hey, come get your stuff. Your mom dropped off your stuff. And I was like, well, now I have no excuse. Uh, I have to go. So I went, and it turned out I actually really loved wrestling. Uh, wrestling totally changed my life. It it totally changed, you know, my sense of self worth. Uh, it it gave me a newfound confidence in my self, and uh, it gave me the ability to like defend myself against these guys that I used to be friends with, who were now kind of bullying me um, on a regular basis. And it, it taught me a lot about hard work and about ownership and. I would say, like, it, it really self-actualized me. So wrestling was kind of like the, the build-back-up part of the ego death that I had in, you know, this this total destruction of self. Uh, and, and so as a part of that, wrestling and, and combat sports became a huge part of my life for the decade going forward. I, I wrestled... Um, three years in high school my junior year I took a hiatus because I was just being a total idiot for various reasons and I had other priorities but my senior year I came back That's something I'll always regret is not wrestling my junior year I I beat myself up about that sometimes when I look back on the past I'm like man you were such an idiot like cause what did I accomplish my junior year nothing just like a bunch of partying and um chasing you know, really nasty girls and those types of things. And I look back and I'm like, you could have been so good your senior year if you hadn't taken your junior year off, but whatever. I I was, I was not bad my senior year, but I only qualified for state and I didn't place or anything like that. So it was, what a shame. But um, combat sports became a huge part of my life going forward. So I wrestled for, you know, I would say, you know, three, four years in high school, but On a a linear basis, it would have been four years. And then in college, I did another four or five years of mixed martial arts, um, particularly Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but a bit of Muay Thai and some Krav Maga and a little bit of judo. And and wrestling was always like my foundational basis for that. So wrestling was always kind of my strongest um, part of my mixed martial arts repertoire. And... You know, in, in college, I went to a liberal arts school, and it was definitely a party school. And it was 60% out of state, um, which if, if you know much about how tuition uh, systems work for colleges, it's a lot more expensive to go to a school if you're out of state. So my college attracted a lot of wealth, Um because it was so out of state, like, it attracted a lot of very wealthy people from outside of the state. Um, So, and and that had a lot of implications for the culture of the school. The school had a culture of being very, it was kind of uppity. It was a little bit, um, a, a lot of the people that attended the school cared a lot about appearances and what kind of clothes you wear and what kind of parties you attend and where you live and what kind of car you drive and it was just a product of I would say the amount of wealth that a lot of the students that went to that school came from and obviously this is a generalization not everybody there was like that but that was my general experience of what it was like and, you know, like, don't get me wrong, I was uh, engaged in my fair share of partying and those types of things. But um, because of the ego death that I had experienced as a young man in high school, I was self-actualized enough that I knew I didn't need a click um, to kind of fit in. I didn't need a click... And this was something I was very intentional about in college was that I was not going to be comfortable in someone else's social circle. Um I was going to find people that I liked to be around because they challenged me or because I you know they were self-actualized, and I wanted to be self actualized. Um so I made a great effort to surround myself with people who were um truthful, I would say. You know, truthful, honest with themselves, critical of themselves, critical of me. I didn't want to surround myself with the types of people who were uninterested in, in being truthful in the way that they looked at the world. And um, that can come off as very abrasive to people who are used to having to conform to a certain clique. Because if your whole life revolves around, Existing inside of a single social circle and your identity is built around your acceptance in that social circle. And I think this is something a lot of young people have to kind of learn for themselves and they do uh, eventually, but it's a hard thing to learn when you're in an environment like college where a whole large part of your identity is based around who you associate with. So I was very intentional going into college about this prospect of not letting myself fall into a clique and um, selecting my social circle very carefully. So as a result of this kind of self-actualization, I had a very socially and in, um, like personal growth aspect of my college education was very rewarding. I developed a lot socially, Um, I would say that I matured a lot. I met a lot of really great people. Um, I did not spend my time. I was very intentional about not spending my time with people I did not like being around. Um, And, you know, like early on in college, I identified that there were some people that I would like meet and spend a little bit of time with and think to myself, like these people are, are just losers. Like I don't want to, and I don't mean that in a way, like I'm judging them and I think that I'm better than them, but more so just like, these are not the types of people who are um, going to help me grow. And they're not the types of people that I should be spending my time with. If I want to grow as a human, you know, it's nothing against them. I didn't have, like, any hatred for them or anything like that. It was just a realization that um, these people are not good for me or these people will not help me grow. So I was, like I said, a very intentional surrounding myself with great people. And I kind of became addicted to that. Um, And throughout my time at college, like I said, because of the culture at this school, which I think was a little bit magnified because it was such an uppity environment, i Became increasingly trepidatious. I, I became aware, and I could not really express this because I knew very little about anything um, other than like mixed martial arts. Um, mm-hmm. I knew very, I, I studied exercise physiology because I just wanted to maximize my own ability to train and do sports and work physically and those types of things. And I wanted to be able to maximize the productivity of that, of those efforts. Um, all right. I don't want to get lost, lose track of where I'm at here. So I, I became very aware of where a lot of something was very wrong, like societally speaking, you know, given the way that I, uh, experienced and grew like as a young man and then growing up as I got a little bit older and developing socially and those types of things, like I could tell, I couldn't really put my finger on what it was, but I could tell that something about our society was very, very wrong. Um, that most people were incredibly dishonest, not in the sense that they would necessarily lie to you, but that they lie to themselves about everything. And I got the sense that a lot of our wealth and um, apparent prosperity was very much unearned. That a lot of my peers didn't work hard at anything and had never worked hard at anything in their life. And yet would probably be very successful just as a byproduct of their status, who they knew, who their parents were. Um... And, and looking around and, and seeing sort of what I was considering like a glut or an excess of luxury without anybody really doing anything to maintain or deserve that luxury. And I could, I just had this feeling in my gut that like this is not sustainable. Like this cannot last. Something crazy has to happen um, to upset this because this doesn't feel natural, this doesn't feel balanced. This doesn't seem right. And i that was all I could really do to articulate it at the time, at that point in my life. So a little bit more about like, what I was like at this point in my life. Um, like I said, I spent a lot of my time focused on training mixed martial arts. And uh, at the time, it was really culturally popular, I would say. It was really kind of coming into its own around the time that I was starting college. It was like 2009, 2010. And, uh, I knew from the very first time I did MMA, like I went to an MMA practice and I got actually like punched and kicked, which is quite a bit different than wrestling. Wrestling is a very tough sport, but there's no punching and kicking. Um, I knew I decided right then and there, I was like, yeah, I love this. Like I love every second of this, but I don't ever want to fight. Professionally to like pay the bills. I did compete a lot um, like in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and those types of things. And I was, I was decent, but I, I knew almost immediately, especially because the guy that I learned from, I, I had a lot of different coaches over the years, but one of the guys that I was learning from as a freshman couldn't even really talk right because he had been beat on the head and the face so much in his life that like he kind of stuttered and slurred his words and, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. I don't ever want to pay the bills by fighting in like these dirty little backroom gyms, and like this is not the life I want for myself. I do this because I love it. I do it because it helps me develop. I do it because it gives me confidence and it's an outlet for my energy. And I, I met like you, you meet a lot of really incredible people in these types of gyms because these types of gyms just tr- attract pretty incredible people. So. Uh, I built my friend groups around, like, the types of people that I'd meet in these gyms. Like, I was, like, just incredibly physically fit people. Like, at one point in time in college, I think I could do, like, 20 or 30 muscle-ups. I could flagpole, like, with arms extended flagpole. I could do, like, V-sits and and just all kinds of crazy, like, gymnastics and calisthenic exercises that require a, a tremendous amount of physical fitness to be able to pull off those were the types of people and the types of things that I could do. That was, those my peer group. Um, so I met a friend in college. I met him my freshman year and him and I, everyone used to call us fire and ice because we couldn't have been any different. I've always been very methodical and pretty cool. Like just cool as a cucumber most of the time. And my buddy, he's just always fired up. He's a ball of energy. Um, has one speed 100 miles an hour and just always on fire like wants to meet everybody wants to talk to everybody remembers everybody's name um an absolute social butterfly really kind of my polar opposite but him and i really hit it off i mean we were very good friends um we still talk to this day and I don't talk to a lot of the people that I knew from college on a regular basis. they are only a handful. He, he's someone that, you know, we kind of go out of our way to call each other every now and then and catch up. Just and just a great friend. Uh, one of the best friends that I've ever had. And him and I spent a lot of time training together. We had very different social groups. He was in a fraternity. I was not. Um, so a lot of, like, his social events and social life was greek and just a very different group of people than the types of people i was spending my time with and that didn't really matter ever like it it didn't really matter to either of us that we were from living in totally different worlds we spent a lot of time together we spent a lot of time training together um and i knew that i wanted more and and i didn't really know what it was that i was seeking All I know is that I was kind of looking at the mediocrity around me. I was very bored by school because it was just 60, 70% of it was busy work. A lot of what I was learning, I was, I kind of considered fairly inconsequential or unimportant. Like I, I, certain things that I, certain subjects I studied in college, I devoured because I just loved it. It was, it was amazing. Like my sports nutrition class was fascinating. I spent so many hours outside of class studying because I just was fascinated by the topic. Exercise physiology, I loved it. Kinesiology, like, I don't know, I just found it. Anatomy, like, I found anatomy so boring. I took an F because I just didn't ever go to class, and I had to take it twice, and the second time I took it, I got a D minus because I was like, I don't want to memorize all of these names that someone else came up with for, like, little dents and indentations all over the human skeletal system. Like, it's so mundane and meaningless and silly. Like, why? And I I didn't ever want to be a medical doctor either, so I knew it was just a total waste of time to learn what a popliteal fossa is. Um, You know, a little bit of it, like, when it ties into physiology, I think is useful, but having to memorize... the amount of anatomy necessary to go to medical school is so excessive and ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's it's kind of like hazing because it's literally just brain-dead memorization. So I was, I was bored by school. I knew I wanted something more. I didn't quite know what it was. And I remember one day I was in the gym with my friend, and I mentioned to him that I was thinking about um, trying to become a Marine. And he said to me, I remember this day very well. He said to me, you don't want to be a Marine. You need to try to go become a Navy SEAL with me. Navy SEALs are the best. Like, everyone wants to be a Navy SEAL. Navy SEALs, they're like the best of the best. And I didn't know anything about Navy SEALs at the time. And he lent me a couple of his books. And I remember reading, like, tearing through these books. I think it was, like, Lone Survivor and American Sniper and, like, a couple other books. Um... And I tore through these books, man, like, and I was hooked. I was hooked, like, on the culture and on, like, these incredible humans um, who were the types of people that I liked to surround myself with. Like, these were the types of people that that reminded me of the the men written about in these books. Um, And and I I just loved loved all of it. And from that moment forward, I remember that was who I became. I was the guy that was going to go become a Navy SEAL um, my entire identity became, I will be a Navy SEAL or I will die trying. And I started to kind of shift my training focus away from combat sports and towards, um, like long distance running and swimming, neither of which I had ever done. And that was a difficult transition as a wrestler because I was used to being very tight all the time. Um, which was something I struggled with in boxing. I was just, you're very tight in wrestling and in boxing and kick. And this is something like you, you can't really understand unless you've been through this like I have, but like swimming and running and boxing is very loose. Um, it's very relaxed, or at least it's supposed to be if you're doing it right. If you're very tight and tense, when you're doing those sports, you'll tire out way too quickly. So I had to I was not a good swimmer, and I was not a good runner. I remember my recruiting mentor, um, the one who would kind of like put me through a bunch of these physical tests to determine if I was even like an eligible candidate to go through the Navy SEAL program, told me, he he looked at me and said, you are never going to be a Navy SEAL because you're never going to be able to pass the runs and the swims. And I took that as a personal challenge. I was like, man... F this guy. Like, this guy doesn't know me. He doesn't know how hard I work. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not very good at running or swimming today, but, like, I am going to keep working at this until I am. And at at this point, like, I had already been selected because I was, um, you know, willing. I had, like, enough gusto and, like, um, pain tolerance to be able to just force myself to belt through um, the physical test you know to qualify to become a navy seal because it kind of works like the nfl draft where like you you do like a a run a swim some push-ups pull-ups sit-ups and i could suffer through you know like 45 minutes of that um to be able to like at least be competitive right i wasn't like a star athlete at any of those things except for maybe like the push-ups and pull-ups um but i could run and swim fast enough that it was it mattered and so you sort of um, score on these things. You take the test like once a week or once every every other every other week or something like that, and they put you into like a draft, and they draft you for the Navy SEAL program based on like your your physical fitness scores, um, your aptitude scores, and your psychological resiliency scores, which is like a special test that they give the special operator applicants. And I did really well on the aptitude test and did really well on the resiliency test. And I did, um, I was competitive in the physical test. So I was like an auto select. Um, so a few things before I move on to that part of my life. I just want to make sure I didn't miss them. Um, I was very, Cocksure of myself at this point in my life. Like I was very arrogant. I thought that like I was pretty much God's gift to the planet. Um, I I never doubted myself. I had I had no self doubt whatsoever. And I don't mean that in a way. There was like, I, I guess I did kind of think I was perfect or like I knew everything. And I, it couldn't have been further from the truth, man. I was I was just a dumb kid who was in pretty good shape um, and had a lot of mental toughness. But I really didn't know anything about, you know, economics or history or philosophy or political theory. You know, I, I didn't know anything about anything. I, I knew a little bit of history because, like I said, I went to a liberal arts school. I had to take, like, a bunch of history, and I failed my way through French because I've just never had an ear for foreign language. It's really difficult for me to learn. Um, but I was just not, like, a very developed person. Um Intellectually, you know, like I've always been very smart. Like school was always very easy for me, but I wasn't developed. Like I, I, I didn't have any uh, ability to interpret the world around me, you know, in a meaningful way, because I had no really le- developed lens to view it from. And I remember one day I was at a Bible study, and there was a guy there who I had never met before, and and I've never met him since. Um, it was just this one night that I met him at this Bible study and this was just random um, I had a friend who I was training with who he was training for an Ironman and he was training to join um, some sort of British special forces he was a, a exchange student from the UK and he, he invited me to go to this Bible study with him one night and I met this guy um, there named Matt and Matt probably doesn't remember me and probably doesn't know me, but he, we were praying for each other at one point in time this night, and he looked at me and prayed for a little bit and then had, like, a vision. And, if, and it's like I said at the beginning, you know, if you're not religious, like, I totally get that. I totally understand it. But I have had um, a number of experiences in my life that cannot be explained by anything other than some sort of connection Um, to a higher order realm, like something spiritual beyond our world, and I believe it's God. Uh, Matt prayed over me and looked at me. Uh, This is without knowing anything about me. He did not know anything about me. He said that he had a vision um, praying over me of a tree that was on a hill and a great flood comes and the floodwaters rise and wash away all of the dirt uh, of the hill and when the floodwaters recede the only thing left is the tree and its roots and the roots are clinging to the rock that was underneath all the dirt um, which is the the tree's foundation and if not for the rock that the tree was clinging to, there would have, the tree would have been lost in a storm. And the rock was the truth. Like, if, if you've ever studied the Bible, like the, the foundation, the rock, the firm foundation, the truth, um, sort of is a common analogy. And, and he told me this story without knowing anything about me, having never met me before um, without knowing, and, and that, that story actually ended up being incredibly prophetic because I was about to go into Navy SEAL training, which two things about Navy SEAL training, um, it is designed to break you down, like to totally break you down as a human being, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit, and it involves a lot of water, um, And actually, those two things kind of go hand in hand. The water, in a lot of ways, is used to just totally break you down mentally and physically as a human. And he didn't know these things about me. So there's another thing that you need to know about Matt. Matt wrote a book called From Folly. And um, metaphorically speaking, Matt's story was almost identical to mine. Uh, I'll summarize Matt's book for you in a few words. He took a bunch of psychedelic drugs, convinced himself that he was Jesus Christ and needed to die to atone for humanity's sins. Um, So while on a lot of drugs, decided that the way he would atone for humanity's sins would be to swim as far out into the ocean as he could and then let himself be embraced by uh, the sweet nothingness of death where he would then die and all of humanity could be saved. So he swam for like six hours out into the ocean, uh, upon which he started to come down from his psychedelic trip and realized what he had done and decided that he didn't want to die and pleaded with God and said, God, if I survive this, I, like everything will change. Like I promise my entire life will change. I'll be a completely different person and I'll dedicate my life to you and he survived he washed up on the shore like another like six hours later totally naked and exhausted and near death Um, but he lived and he wrote a book about this experience and I didn't know any of this about him at the time and um, I shared this story with my friend who had invited me to go to this bible study and he told me Matt had written this book and I bought that book that night and read it it was a fairly short read it wasn't very long and I was just totally blown away by his story. And I didn't really connect all of the significance of, of these pieces of events until years later. But looking back, um, it was pretty amazing that Matt had been through an experience like that and then spoke to me prophetically about what I was about to go through, knowing nothing about me. And, and keep in mind, like there were a lot of people at this Bible study. So like this was a total happenstance um, that Matt ran into me and just so happened to like share that story with me. Um, pretty incredible. So, moving forward to the whole Navy SEAL thing, um, that might have to be a part two because this is dragging on a little bit. Uh, I think I covered most everything that I wanted to cover about, like, my first ego death and sort of how it developed me to self-actualize a little bit more, um, but I would say that that... the the bullet points here would be if if I did a bad job summarizing or or going through it the first time. Uh, The self-actualization that I experienced through my first ego death was sort of like uh, very beneficial in my ability to to develop socially and in my ability to be kind of be self-confident and be um, unafraid to be myself and to be unafraid to kind of buck the trend, go against the grain Um, and develop physically as well. Like I found a lot of value in developing myself physically, testing myself physically, pushing myself physically to the limits. And that led to this culmination event of saying, okay, I want to go be the best of the best. I want to go join the best of the best. I want to be surrounded by amazing human beings all the time. I want to get paid to jump out of planes and um, plant bombs on the bottoms of ships and, Um, you know, do all kinds of super cool guy secret squirrel stuff. So I think I'll leave that there. Um, And then I'll do a part two on this that will sort of be ego death part two, where I'm going to talk about a lot of the events of the last decade of my life that have led me to where I'm at. And um, it's a lot. And uh, I, I, I think... You know, I don't even really know why I'm talking about this because it's not like ego death is something that you can seek out. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, But I I really just wanted to share these stories from my life to give you a better picture of kind of who I am and what I've went through and how it's been a long journey to get to where I am. And if you're young and you're listening to this, maybe you can draw some lessons from it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe will, maybe won't. But um, stay tuned for part two on on this topic of ego death.